you said you, you were saying you were working with boxing, crazy yep. athletes. So when I was when I was at the Olympic Training Center, um, I was uh, assigned to boxing kind of towards the end of my my time there, um, and went on a trip with them to Honduras. Um, and I'm sitting around talking to their dietitian, um, Rob Skinner. Okay. Uh, and he, so we're just kind of, you know, trading stories. And he was like, we, we once had an athlete that come through after every meal, he'd have a hot cup of water. And so Rob, Rob finally walked up to him and was like, Hey man, like, what do you do that for? He was like, Oh, it like, it like melts my food. So like I can digest it easier. And I can't <laughs> wait for food. Uh, so that, I, that kind of sums up my whole kind of mantra on, on where athletes sit with their weight cutting tactics or mindset or <laughs> dude if you think about it it kind of oh, makes man. sense it makes sense <laughs> i kind of makes if, sense if, if you think about don't think if you don't think about it it makes even yeah. more sense exactly. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i guess you know it's a it's a it's a huge thing in the asian population to drink warm water and warm liquids so yeah. maybe there's maybe there's something behind it i don't know yeah yeah who knows but <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> that's the intro. So welcome back to Building a Fighter. Uh, this is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, that gorgeous hunk of a man, Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. Today we have a guest, I will say probably the most fun guest, Bobby Gaysford. Oh, I know, I'm throwing shade at the other guests. Bobby <laughs> Gaysford? Gaysford? Yeah. yeah, Gaysford. Gaysford. So he is the ATC at the UFCPI. He is a self-proclaimed, no, sorry, a student-proclaimed wound care wizard yeah. uh, and just an overall awesome human. So, Bobby, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm, uh, like Austin said, I'm the the athletic trainer at the UFC Performance Institute. Um, kind of started with my bachelor's in athletic training um, in Col- at Colorado State University, um, you know, down in Pueblo, Colorado, um, born and raised in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, from there, went on to get my bachelor or my sorry, my master's in athletic training. So that's kind of the short definition of my master's. My master's is actually master's in medical sciences um, with an emphasis in athletic training and a specialization in youth sport epidemiology. So basically, really fancy to say that it, mm-hmm. the program had a had a youth sport focus. Okay. Um, so coming out of under or coming out of grad school, just kind of was actually applying for high school positions up in Denver, um, had two really good interviews, ended up not getting them and then interviewed with the Olympic training center, which I thought was the worst interview I've ever had and ended up getting the position. So I guess moral of that story is don't bank on any interview you have. And you think it's a terrible interview, you might still get the position. Um, so I, it was kind of funny because they called me back after after the first round of interviews, which I thought went terrible. And they were like, oh, we'd like to advance you further in this hiring process. And I was like, are you sure you're calling the right person? Um <laughs> Well, I had a really good interview with the OTC and they told me I was too qualified and didn't give me a job. So <laughs> maybe it's backwards there. Maybe. I guess so. Well, and that's what happened with the high school positions. They were like, oh, we think you're a little overqualified for this. Like, Yeah, that's that's the weirdest reason not to. Yeah. Yeah, it was super, super interesting. But yeah, so and then eventually after I got comfortable there, I was like, you know, what what about my interview went well? And they were like, well, you always kind of came back to the fact like if you didn't know anything, like you were going to 
consult with the team. So um, we just kind of got the idea that, you know, you were never going to try and be the hero and, and um, we're always going to work within the team. So I guess tip of advice, if, if, if you're applying in a group setting, then, you know, using the team's always, always beneficial. So, um, yeah. So then at the, the Olympic training center, I was there for almost four years. Um, primary responsibilities were, uh, men's gymnastics practice while I was there. Um, but got some wrestling practice coverage, um, always covered the Dave Schultz Memorial tournament every year. Um, okay. which, which was always a shit show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Always. So my first experience <laughs> with the Dave Schultz tournament, it was day, it was day one actually. Um, and so I believe it was Greco because each day it, mm-hmm. it went Greco freestyle, yeah. women's freestyle. And I'm sitting there covering a match and this, um, kind of the way we did it. We had four mats going, you had an athletic trainer or a medical provider covering each mat. And then you had like two or three providers over in the corner, kind of taping people, kind of assessing people if they came up with injuries or whatever. Um, so I'm covering a mat. So one guy gets picked up and slammed. Um, I didn't really see the slam, but it, it kind of hit his head. Um, they were, it took him out of bounds. So the referee goes to stand him up and one athlete's kind of taking his time to stand up. So referee calls me out. I'm asking him a bunch of concussion questions and he's kind of like answering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, okay, well, and then, and then he goes to stand up and he goes, it, it, it's fine. I was just seeing stars for a second. And I was like, all right, well, that just made my decision really easy, right? Like I'm calling this match. Um, so the one of the providers from the table came over and grabbed him and was going to further assess him for a concussion. And I sat back down on the chair and started covering the next match. Um, well, during the assessment, he basically said no to every concussion symptom. And, you know, it was obviously had, has been here before. So he knew how to answer these questions. Um, and ended up having a little bit of a laceration on the top of his head. So that's what the, the provider over in the corner thought he was going over there for. Well, like 30 seconds later, I get the head of USA wrestling just in your ripping ear. into me. Right. And I was just like, <laughs> he was like, well, why'd you disqualify him? I was like, well, uh, he was showing signs of a concussion. He said he was dizzy, nauseous, had a headache and was seeing stars. And he was like, well, this is wrestling. You're always dizzy. You always have a headache and you're always seeing, and you're always <laughs> nauseous. And I was like, yeah, but that's not my job to determine whether that was because he just got dumped on his head or because he's wrestling. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. <laughs> dude, dude, I got one where, so one of our old teammates, he was, he's a Greco wrestler, same thing. He went for a double overthrow. He goes for this throw, lands straight on his dome, out cold. They let him finish the match and wins the fucking match. They, like, out cold. I don't understand how they didn't stop it, how they didn't pull him out of the tournament, but they let him, they gave him, like, that he recovered within three minutes or whatever it was. He gets up, and he goes out there, wins the rest of the match, and then he continues the rest of the day. Deaf and said he doesn't even remember the match at all. I I was there. That shit was nuts. But he just gets up straight tries to toss on his dome and then gets up, wins the match and then goes on, wins three more matches the rest of the day. It's fucking stupid, but that's wrestling. <laughs> but that's, yeah, wrestling, that's yeah. wrestling, right? You're always, you always have a headache. You're always dizzy and you're always not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, uh, man, so then that started the morning and then I ended up having to spine board a Russian who didn't speak a lick of English, sat up like three or four times in the process of it. Cause we couldn't get a translator. Um, and then after that, the very next match I covered, I get pushed by a Chinese coach because his guy got choked out on the mat. So I was like, well, he's done for this 
Yeah. It was like in a compromised position where it just choked him out. He actually walked up, stood over him, and slapped him straight across the face before I even realized like the, this kid was out. That's oh, wrestling. I'm like trying to explain to him like, hey, like he can come back and he can wrestle in his next match. He just can't continue in this one. He's just got to go get checked out. Yeah. And uh, he pushed it. <laughs> he just straight up shoved me. And yeah. So um, yeah. So that was my wrestling experience at the OTC. Did you start wrestling back on him, Bobby? <laughs> no wrestling was never never my thing i did i did probably about six months of wrestling in middle school just because my dad did it growing up so i was like yeah. well, let me try this out and it was probably it's probably the only thing i've ever quit in my life just because the kid that i would have had to wrestle off every week had been doing it since he was four so i was like mm-hmm. well this is i'm just coming to wrestling practice to be a dummy at this point so yeah, yeah. I feel that. Yeah. Um, I feel that. Um, yeah. So then continue to, you know, the, the Olympic training center there in the Colorado Springs is, is kind of the main hub. So we would kind of see all kinds of athletes as far as sports medicine went. Um, we'd get the bobsled and skeleton athletes in the summertime. Um, and then towards, towards the end of my time there was, it was kind of primarily covering boxing practice. So um, with the Olympics um, went to the 2015 Pan American games um, worked pretty closely there with the women's water polo team, um, and then went to the 2016 Rio Olympic Games um, and worked mm-hmm. with uh, judo down there for a few days. So, dang, uh, okay, yeah. So it was you cool. Gotta was have cool. a Rio story. Yeah, it was. It was pretty cool uh, sitting front row seat, just watching uh, Kayla Harrison just kind of. Dominic. I was about to say that was the year <laughs> Kayla just went out there and fucked oh, everyone up, dude. It was it was crazy. It was uh, I think it was it wasn't until maybe the semifinals or the maybe even the gold medal match where like anybody really gave her any sort of competition. It was like the second that she had grabbed onto the lapel of the gi and it, you were done. That was it. Like yeah. hell yeah. So, um, yeah, it was that was that was a pretty cool experience. We were uh, um, I would so 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 the way it kind of worked is the the Olympic team brings down extra providers because uh, depending on the size of the NGB um, de- kind of determines how many credentials they get. So right, they qualify. They say say like okay, like wrestling qualifies ten people. The NGB may get fifteen credential. Obviously, gotcha. the more successful of an NGB you are, so like swimming, gymnastics, kind of the more credentials you get. Right. So they can use those additional credentials for kind of whatever they want, whether it's coaches, a dietitian, um, a medical provider. You know, they can a sports psychologist. They can kind of yeah. kind of fill those credentials however they want. So then the, the USOC provides or brings down basically all types of medical professions. They were, we had doctors, we had chiropractors, we had PTs and athletic trainers and massage therapists. And we can kind of backfill where some of these sports may need like event coverage. Um, so that that's kind of how I filled in with judo. So I was with judo for three days, but the rest of the time I was just kind of in the clinic. So these, these NGBs that don't bring a provider can come down and get treatment. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, long, long days, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a hell of an experience for sure. So definitely. Dude, and that was just, I, I'd heard just cause I have, the, um, one of the guys that I was coached by in Illinois, he was on that Olympic team for wrestling. Yep. He said just Rio in general is fucking crazy. Oh, it was, <laughs> it, we, we, you know, we would get some time out to go kind of explore and man, man it didn't matter if you were going two miles down the road or are you going 30 miles down the road? It seemed to take you like three hours to get everywhere. (laughs) 
Are you taking cars everywhere? That maybe that was the problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, the first time I ever hopped in an Uber or a Lyft was down in Brazil. That's sketch, dude. I'm, yeah, I'm it's not a bad. No, well, and this gets better. We hop in this Uber, and uh, it was we were down there a few days before the games actually started. So uh, one of the doctors and I had some had the afternoon off. So we went and uh, ran to the statue, ran to you know Copacabana Beach, kind of explored a little bit. So we we hop in this Uber, leaving the village, and he's taking us kind of this back way into Christ the Redeemer statue, and it's like sketchy mountain passes like and i grew up in colorado so like driving sketchy mountain passes was a normal thing then we realized halfway through this that this dude is actually a a paraplegic so he is everything's by levers like he can't control like and everything down there is manual so he's shifting he's controlling gas and clutch all with his hands so there's like a point in time where there's like his hands aren't actually on the steering wheel i was like Okay, this is how this is how it ends. Like, <laughs> at least I, at least I made it to the Olympics. Um, but this is how it ends. Most epic Uber ride. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It was about. I guess that was a way to break the <laughs> break the cherry with Uber. But but was it worth it? Was yeah. It oh yeah. Time? Absolutely. Absolutely. The uh, um, Rio is a very uh, beautiful land set for sure. So I've been to I've been to Rio now and I've been to Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo is with the UFC. Uh, okay. So quite too. So you get Rio's kind of very, uh, uh, I guess like it's very just beautiful land and you know a lot of natural things to see. And then Sao Paulo is your kind of like big city kind of New York style type of city, I guess. So, do you speak any Portuguese or Spanish or anything or? Work in progress. Uh, very little Portuguese. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I like to connect with the athletes. Mm-hmm. And so when you kind of start asking them um, questions about their language, you kind of get get a little bit more buy-in, right? So yeah. um, I think you guys were talking about buy-in with Tara and stuff a little bit. Um, so I've picked up a little bit of Chinese, a little bit of Korean now, and a little bit of, of Portuguese are probably the top three that I have nice my repertoire and it's just from you know kind of talking with the athletes the the athletes that can speak both well enough um and when you get a chinese athlete that comes in and um you know is is a little hesitant to walk in the door and you can kind of spout off just you know it's very basic it's like one word type of stuff but you can spout off just a little bit they're they're a little a little less hesitant to you know get on the table and get treatment there's just a little bit more buy-in so yeah, just enough to where they know you care. Yeah, that you you went out of your way to learn that for them. Absolutely, absolutely. Most of my Portuguese um, is are the the the, uh, the negative words, the not so good words. <laughs> Same, dude. Um, so like, but, at, dude, at fight ready. We have Captain there. I'm sure you've met Eric El. Yeah. yeah. So oh, have, yeah, at, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have all the Brazilians coming through and all that shit. And so one of my guys is also Bruno Silva. So Bruno was teaching me a little bit of Portuguese while he's on the table. And then I, I was dry needling his shoulder. He's he just like, Kalayo. And I'm like, bro, what, like, I, cause he says that they all say it all the time. What the yep. fuck does that mean? And he's like, it means anything. He's like, mm-hmm. any words you want it to mean, just say Kalayo, good, bad, whatever. Just say it. Everybody will get what you know, get what you mean. If yeah. they know Portuguese. And I'm like, so, that's perfect. So we need one means- of those in English. So it means fuck. Yeah. No, exactly. fuck is that. Yeah. 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 So now I just say Cavallo all the time to all the Portuguese <laughs> people and they fucking love it. They love it. Oh yeah. They absolutely <laughs> love it. 
<laughs> they love it. The uh, we because we well, I guess most of the Chinese probably came from when we we so the UFC has a partnership with the Chinese Olympic Committee. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So we've had. Um, where did any of them come through when you were there, Alex? I no one or two. I think that just had fights or had events during my time when I was there, but not. It wasn't like a Olympic committee member or. Okay, um, so we've had like the Chinese Olympic rowing, mm-hmm. um, so rowing sports, so like canoe, kayak, and rowing, speed skating, forgetting one. So like that kind of just came from, you know, them coming through for about Man. eight How weeks. How much does the Chinese Olympic Committee train at the Shanghai Institute? Um, they've been there quite a bit. Um, I don't know specifics. Kind of when that deal, right, right before that deal, or I guess right after that deal got finalized, um, the whole world shut down. So yeah. Um, the, the PI, the Shanghai PI was actually closed for a good, like nine months. Damn. Um, Damn. Yeah. And they were actually, they were all over here. The whole staff was over here is kind of like a little retreat kind of all get together mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, and they actually had to leave early cause they were, you know, worried about getting stuck here. And so they all tried to get back, but then basically didn't really matter because Shanghai was shut down for Basically, yeah. eight, seven months. Yeah. Damn. Coronavirus huh. is still happening in some places. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> still a thing. Um, so, um, but to kind of circle back, that, that you know, finished with boxing, took a trip to Honduras with them for their Pan Am championships or something. Which was like the hot water melting the food. Yeah, which was, yeah, there. which is where that, that, that story with Rob Skinner <laughs> came from. So, um, which that was a whole different, that was an interesting uh, trip because as far as weight cutting goes, because they would, they all had to weigh in at the start of the, the first day of the tournament. They all had to weigh in on weight. And then each day they fought, they had to weigh in. Um, so some of these guys were yeah. basically cutting and training, cutting weight and training three, four times a day. It was, uh, oh, it was yeah process and it was interesting on on the nutrition side of things because um rob skinner had to basically bring stuff that the athletes would actually eat but were still semi-nutrient dense and some still <laughs> semi-beneficial to uh to actual uh actually cutting weight so it was it was an interesting trip for sure um and then basically got hired at the the ufc um in september so about three months after they opened um so i've been here Sweet. four years in september so Hell yeah yeah it's been a it's been a fun journey for sure very cool yeah, dude still loving it still oh yeah absolutely Absolutely. This, uh, this year has been a little crazy just because of the way, uh, operations have switched. You know, we were used to having, so we'll travel with, we'll travel. We let's hear in 20, it would have been 2019. We had, we had supported 24 event. Okay. Four, five of those were in Vegas. Um, and then we would travel to basically every pay-per-view and then like one additional, um, basically domestic, domestic plus Canada, um, uh, fight card each Mm -hmm. month. So, um, but now it's, now it's every single event basically has been up until the last month has been in Vegas. So, um, which is cool. They, the, the VPs, um, and the execs, um, have kind of pushed us more towards like an event support model. So I think okay. forward kind of once everything gets kind of, you know, more back to normal, we'll be at, we'll basically be at every, every single event. 
So sweet. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the last year has worked out well for you with the uh, the new baby at home. Or yeah, it was perfect. I got yeah. you know it's basically seven seven months of or not sorry seven weeks of paternity leave, and then a couple of uh, quarantines mixed in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, there you go. So yeah, it was, it was everybody was like you know how has been raising a baby in in COVID? I was like it's, it's been great actually. I'm home all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been great actually. <laughs> Very cool, man. Well, so so something that I was talking with Tara about, and I mentioned it in your intro, is that you are the man when it comes to wound management. Yes. So lacerations, all these different things uh, that could occur, especially with the striking aspects of the sport. What are yep. some, if you have some quick hitters, some quick tips as far as wound management? I know you told me, I remember one about green tea, and I use that green shit tea. all the time. All the time. Yep. So it actually works better if it's black tea. Um, oh, Damn. So I, well, and it doesn't matter as long it as it's got from the inside. Yeah. Right. As long as it, yeah. <laughs> as long as it's got caffeine in it, I just think that um, black tea has a higher concentration of, of caffeine in it compared okay. to, but so it's a, it's a, it's a tea bag. If somebody's got a, uh, a cut inside their mouth, their tongue, they bit their cheek, you know, something like that. Just having them suck on a green tea bag or a black tea bag um, is, is a great way to get that to stop. Cause basically what you're looking at is vaso vasoconstriction, which that's what caffeine is. Right. So, yeah. and, and it, and it keeps it all, you know, you could essentially maybe give them some coffee grinds to suck on, but that probably sounds pretty terrible and ends up being a hot mess. <laughs> I don't know, man. I yeah. like coffee. <laughs> I mean, I do too, but I, I'd rather it be in a liquid form. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> my, my wife uh, is from Minnesota and they grew up on pretty, on the farmland they're like born and bred on the farm and uh one of the first times i was meeting their brothers sorry this is just kind of a weird anecdote there was brewing coffee and i was like man there's a lot of grounds in this coffee he's like yeah i like to strain it through my teeth <laughs> and i was like all right all right you, yep good job i like to spit it out at the end <laughs> that's crazy no cool so caffeine in the mouth yeah, so caffeine in the mouth. Um, so I've always, you know, as an athletic trainer, I've always just kind of kept a couple of green tea bags or black tea bags um, in the kit. And just, you know, kind of tell them to suck on it for a little bit. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, um, another one to kind of follow that up, I guess, would be, um, as odd as it sounds, Preparation H. Um, yes, primarily used for hemorrhoids, but... Uh, yeah. Austin's very familiar. <laughs> it <Yeah>. treats... <laughs> I know it's it's funny. So the kind of the way I, I teach these to the students um, when they come through is I, I kind of send them on a scavenger hunt and I give them a couple of clues because I figured it's probably you know the best way that they're going to remember it is if they actually find it um, and they're off the wall you know off kind of ab abnormal things that you would use for bleeding. So they, the first thing they always go towards is straight the the uh, the wound care cupboard and I'm I'm always like it's 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 not where you, you know, you find it where you're, you're not going to expect it to. It's not your typical, you know, wound care junk. Um, mm -hmm. They go straight to the wound care cupboard and they're like, they pull things out. They call it, you know, stick it. They pull this out. I'm like, yeah, but you would use those for wound care. Like, yeah. um, and they eventually, I think we've had like two students actually find it just out of peer. Like, well, why do we have preparation age? <laughs> <laughs> It's a brave question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. 
And then like, I've actually some some have come across it before we've played the scavenger game, and they're like, "We uh, we really we really need this," and I'm like. <laughs> Actually, yes, we do. Um, so I learned this at the Olympic Training Center, covering probably covering the Dave Schultz Memorial Tournament. Um, so preparation H, again, a vasoconstrictor, which is how it treats the hemorrhoid. Um, it is, and it's a j- kind of a jelly substance, right? So you mix it up with a little bit of skin lube, Vaseline, um, and then apply it. You know, it works really well on any kind of, you know, facial laceration, really kind of any laceration you can't get to stop, stop bleeding, but great for... Um, great for the face um, is what we would primarily use it for. Um, and a quick pinch. Obviously, you wouldn't want to probably just slap it on anybody if you had time to do like true wound care and maybe do steri strips or, or you know, bandage it up. But um, a little bit of Vaseline, a little bit of preparation H, um, send it back out there. Yeah, I was about to say, but in between, like for a sparring day, in between sparring rounds, he's got to cut, boom, right. throw it on there, good to go. Right, exactly. So like, I mean, like in, in you know, in the fights, um boxing mma whatever the cutman's using adrenaline which is a vasoconstrictor right so um same same type of principle and they're already putting vaseline on their face so yeah it's it's great for sparring day it's great for you know somebody you don't have time to kind of actually bandage up or the you know the ability to nice i'm gonna put preparation h on the next uh supply order for fight ready yeah absolutely get that all up all up in the (laughs) and everybody's gonna be like what uh (laughs) Just don't awesome. get them confused. Don't yeah. put preparation H in the mouth and the green tea bag on the face. It'll be it'll be a little weird. <laughs> Dude, you mentioned cut man. Is that ever just being somebody so good with wound care? Is that something you've ever thought about jumping into? No, not really. Um, it's it's kind of cool actually. We've been uh, we've been kind of collaborating a little bit with um, one of the cut men for the UFC, um, Tate. Yeah, because uh, he's a, he's a nurse, right? Yeah, he's actually got his. His backgrounds, he's, he's, uh, I think it's either nurse or EMT. Okay. Um, and then he's also, he also works for Southwest Airlines and yeah, sounds like oh. a, sounds like a busy guy for sure. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was kind of cool. We had him in to just kind of, um, just kind of open the door, um, for hand wraps just cause we kind of wanted to see like, you know, if there's anything we can do if there is a hand injury or, or, or whatever, we kind of collaborating, or, you know, if there is a hand injury, we could be like, Hey, uh, make sure Tate or whoever wraps your hands does this, or we can tell Tate like, Hey, maybe like, make sure, you know, you focus a little bit more cause he's got this type of injury or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's been a cool collaboration. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'd have any interest in actually doing it. I mean, it would be cool, but, um, yeah. I haven't even haven't even thought about it, I guess. So. But you like your day job. Huh? I like I like my day job. I like I like not having any responsibilities at the day of the fight. <laughs> yeah, you, you <laughs> had that one experience at the Dave Schultz. Day, but yeah. You don't want to do the UFC because <laughs> we all know how much you guys it's get been, hated it's on. It's been like eight years basically since I've had any like consistent sideline coverage, which is abnormal for an athletic trainer. Um, yeah. so we i mean we're there during practice you know some of the practices going on upstairs but like nobody's sitting there like cage side or mount side you know covering practices like a normal athlete trainer would do right um so yeah i kind of like the fact that i can do some treatments in the morning if we need to on the guys that fight that night and, and then enjoy <laughs> enjoy this and then go and then go watch the fight yeah yeah, yeah and then actually <laughs> enjoy it instead of sitting on the edge like <laughs> yeah. um so then 
Let's see here. The so the other one, this is a good one for nosebleeds. Um, so nobody believes me when I tell them it works until they do it and it works. Um, I don't know if it's actually technically called the dragon technique, um, but that's kind of what we've deemed it. We had we had a we had a volunteer come through the Olympic Training Center, um, and she worked a lot with cow football. Um, and we get this, I, I can't even remember what athlete it was that came through, but comes running into the clinic, sports medicine clinic, uh, with a, you know, a bloody nose. So of course, like two of us go running to grab gloves and gauze and, you know, nose plugs and everything. And, and she was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me try something. She has them laid down. She brings the leg up to about 45 degrees, clank, you know, cranks the foot into dorsiflexion and strikes the heel three times. Athlete stands up, nose isn't bleeding anymore. And we're all like, what the? <laughs> we're like, what did you just do? Like, Black magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> because we've even researched this. I had a, you know, one of my coworkers was actually getting his doctorate in athletic training. And he kind of did a little bit. Of, he, he had an assignment um, and based it around this. And the only thing he could find was maybe tying it to the meridian pathways of the body that it somehow, uh, um, somehow works out. I, I can't explain it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you can explain anything by the meridian pathways. Yeah, right. You if know. you don't understand it, you say, oh, it's because of the meridian pathways, right? Like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like any type of core work in the weight room. Like, oh, yeah, we're training slings. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> Zero dynamics, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, so you have them lay down. Um, you take it's – it's the same leg, same nostril – you take the leg up to about 45 degrees of hip flexion, straight knee, you crank the foot into dorsiflexion, and then you strike the heel three times and you thump it pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. not really going to bother them. It kind of almost should hurt your, your, it's fit. like, you're, it's like you're doing an anvil test. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and have, have you been more- able, before we get too far into this, have you been able to repeat this, um, the success of this? Oh yeah, I yeah, I've used it several times. I okay. uh, the Damn. only time that it actually hasn't worked for me, we ended up having to cauterize the girl's nose. Uh, that was a bad one. Yeah, so it was it was a pretty bad one, but it did get it to like it did get it to slow down. It was like it was like a faucet coming in, and we we laid her down and we thumped her, and, and uh, it's it slowed it down. But then every other time I've used it, it's pretty much work i had you know the the gymnastics team would run a a club in the afternoons um so we had anywhere from like okay eight-year-olds five-year-olds up to like high school kids and this kid was probably like 10 and he comes running through holding his nose he was like running to the back i was like hold on hold on like i was like do you have a bloody nose and he was like yeah i was like all right lay down and he looked at me he was like lay down because i you know that's like one thing that you're taught <laughs> like don't lay yeah. down. Don't invert. Like, yeah. Yeah. don't tilt your head back. And I take his leg and put him through it. And he hops up and he wipes his hand and no blood. And he just looks at me and he was like, what are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm a wizard, kid. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Care wizard. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to need a, a plaque of that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So he, uh, yeah, he went on and went back to practice and he just was like, how did, how did, uh, it doesn't matter how it works. It just matters. Yeah. It it, 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 don't worry about it. Uh, and I mean, at the worst, well, we actually, we actually got some, some slack from the, the director a little bit because, uh, there was no evidence behind it. So there's no evidence, you know, no evidence based treatment for it. Yeah. And they're like, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. I was like, but it, 
but it works. Like, yeah. And like, there, and there's no, research, there's right? no like, downside. Like the worst thing that happened, we wasted 10 seconds, you know? Yeah. In, uh, in of one, right? Like <laughs> yeah. there's not too much research on like what actually happens while we're cupping or myofascial compressioning, no. right? Yeah. Like, but we know that it, it, the patient gets off of the table and they feel better. Right. That's dude. There's, there's no research behind ART. We don't know what the fuck ART is doing. But it's right. bought Pat Leahy two jets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> it's a little different, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But it, yeah. but it makes people feel better. It does so, make people feel better, right? Like so exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know if anybody can truly justify like if you're actually manipulating the soft tissues, right? There's that yeah. whole coalition now of like you can't be manipulating fascial fascia and muscle tissue with just your thumb like but you're doing something yeah right dude i have this fight with the pain science people all the fucking time where it's like they they victimize the whole word of trigger point trigger point trigger point i'm like look come up with a better word i'll fucking use it but until you come up with a better word i don't care if there's a trigger point there or not when i push there i needle there whatever it may be hey guess what makes them feel better so i'm gonna stick I'm, i'm gonna use the word trigger point because it's easy to to talk to the patient with. Yeah, exactly. Right. And well, and, and, and that kind of goes along with it. I mean, it doesn't matter what's there, right. It doesn't matter what the injury is, right. Like you just treat, I, the big thing, I think I got hung up on my, on my career early on. And I see it a lot with the, the PT students that come through is like that need to diagnose it as a specific injury. Like you don't like, you're like trying to rack your brain and and doing all these special tests about like what it is and trying to give it an actual name. Like who cares? Right. Like, you know, that this is, I just had this talk yesterday. This is the petition. Yeah. (laughs) Like, so treat, treat the area. Don't treat for a diagnosis. Right. Like it's not going to change whether you label it, uh, a trigger point, whether you label it a strain, whether you label it as, you know, whatever, it's not going to yeah. change what you do. Yeah. Like, and exactly. that's what we talk about too. Like all these words are made up. Like, and I think that's the point where like practice has to kind of precede the like hard, rigid research at some points. Like everybody wants to have this black and white label and this is what it is this is right this is wrong type of ideology around everything but it's like sometimes you just gotta do or you gotta you yeah gotta understand your risks and your assessments and then just take action yeah absolutely yeah yeah, so. yeah what uh so you been at the pi for four years you said what what's some cool stories you got any other than all the wound management stuff you got any really good stories all the way i mean <laughs> they're the uh these yeah, now without guys. throwing anybody under the bus. Yeah, without. <laughs> uh, I mean the the PT room. Um, oh, it's it, a fun it's, place, dude. It's a fun place. Oh, absolutely. And the conversations that we get to have on the table are one of a kind, right? Like, oh yeah. You like the when you when the first thing you t- tell somebody is like take your shirt off or take your pants off, like. <laughs> It just opens the door, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's been some crazy, some crazy stories and some crazy conversations that have been uh, that have been shared within the room, and that's probably those are probably where the crazy stories come from. And just listening to some people's experience, like it's crazy how within you know the Olympic training center, like everybody kind of had the same background story coming up, but like with MMA, these guys come from all walks of life, like you know. 
and, and most of them aren't coming into MMA because they went to an Ivy League school and graduated with a degree and then got into fighting, right? Like most of these guys like come from what well, was basically the only thing I had left, right? Like, so I got into fighting or, or I beat kids up on the schoolyard. So I was like, well, let me try and, you know. Get paid for it. <laughs> yeah, let me try and do something about this. So um, I think I think the most interesting thing is just the, the difference in how fighters within the same division, like, interact with each other. Um, so you get, you get some that fight each other and can't stand each other or going to fight each other and like, don't want to be anywhere near them, their opponent. And then you get some that are like, whatever, like it's just a job, right? Um, yeah, you get the cow, you get the cowboys. Yeah. And you know, that might be part of his mantra. Like, you know, the, the more he makes friends with you before the fight, the, the better, <laughs> the he, better he does. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then, and then you get some that are like, have never fought that dude, uh, probably will never fight that dude. And they're like, no, I'm not going to be in the same room as him. And I'm just like, I'm, okay. Yeah. Right. Are you <laughs> like, are you like goes. offended by the proximity of that person? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And then, and then you get, I think the most interesting one is, uh, Mike Chiesa and Kevin Lee, like they've obviously, they, they've since kind of turned it into a friendly banter. So it, it's, been, <laughs> it's been, it's been interesting to see them in the building at the same time. That was, but that was the, uh, what was it called? That was the, don't talk about my mama incident. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. No, but uh, I will say, oh, no, go for it. Though when I was at the PI, like in starting, like with my, ad, my own athletic career, like there were very few like PTAT rooms that I ever wanted to be in. Right. Like coming up as a wrestler is like, I'm, I'm not going in there. There's something wrong. I, and, yeah. and then I'm going to get in trouble or whatever. And like, I never wanted to be in. And then even like some of the universities I went to, it was like, it was like this clashing of heads, like strength conditioning versus like training versus like how much, like, do I know more than you or what are you diagnosing? Blah, blah, blah. And it was like, for whatever reason, this like um, argumentative type of relationship, but like at the PI, like, the PT room was somewhere that like I wanted to be like, you wanted to go hang out in there and like talk to the people, talk to the, the uh, providers and and just be part of that atmosphere. And like, and you're going to learn something along the way and then you're going to be able to provide better workouts or whatever strength and conditioning for the athletes. So it was a, a unique experience and a, a cool place. And we've talked about this a million times with like the truly like interdisciplinary approach and uh, collaboration. Yeah. 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 So being, being there, especially with this population um from the beginning or almost the beginning we had to kind of tear down the wall or tear down the red tape that you know the big red x on the front door of the pt room because the athletes were like well if i'm in there that means i'm hurt that means i'm injured that means i'm on the shelf but like the facility does a good job of kind of opening that door a little bit because you see straight onto the strength conditioning floor um constantly have the strength conditioning coaches you know or dietitians coming in and, and 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 talking with the athletes in the PT room. Um, so just kind of broke that down a little bit where these guys, you know, they go out and beat the crap out of their body day in and day out, session to session, and they need to put it back together a little bit. So yeah. so they can go on to the next session or the next day and be just, you know, that much more recovered or perform that much more optimally. 
Um, so that, that was definitely one thing that we struggled with from the beginning was just the big red X that, you know, it's not typically a room that you want to be in. Uh, but I think, I think the fighters see, see, you know, the strength conditioning coaches coming in and, uh, um, collaborating or us out on the strength conditioning floor doing our rehab exercises. And, and it just, it breaks that down quite a bit. Um, well, and, and what's cool about what you guys do is that you guys are all comfortable going out. Cause I know like a lot of people that I have graduated with from Cairo school, they wouldn't be comfortable going to the strength conditioning floor Cause they don't come from that background. Every cent, all three of you guys are super comfortable going out there, talking with the strength conditioning coach and doing the rehab out there. And just using that as almost like a warm up, if you yep. will, for their yep. workout. And that's yep. awesome to see because that's, that's the true definition of interdisciplinary where you guys can actually co-manage at the same time. Right. Right. Well, I think, so I, I think the big, well, the big thing that drives that is the space within the clinic. Um, I mean, obviously us personally outside, I mean, I guess outside of our personal beliefs that yes, the interdisciplinary approach works, but like the space in the clinic is small. So it drives us to go out to do this stuff on the strength conditioning floor. Um, and then the, the fact that these guys, you know, have four five, six sessions a day, um, so if we can incorporate some of this stuff into their, especially some of the, well, nothing ever truly is sexy about rehab, right? Like if you're getting sexy with rehab, you're probably doing Instagram type exercises, right? Doing it for the gram. Doing Bobby, it for I the gram. Exactly. No, that's how you live your life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so we can get them to incorporate it into their warm up, whether that be, you know, developing them a morning routine or an evening routine, um, putting it somewhere where they can do it in their strength and conditioning warm up or their, their tactical training warm up. Um, just gets that much more buying because it's one less session that they have to come in for. Um, we have 600 athletes that we have to manage, 600 athletes that we have to manage. Um, obviously not on an everyday basis, but that's how big the UFC roster is. Um, and so we can't treat everybody every single day. So, you know, educating a little bit on self-care and giving them these exercises to combat everything that they do in training uh, as part of their warm-up, I think just gets gets a lot more not only buy-in, but um, gets them actually doing the work a lot more. Yeah, well, exactly it, cre- what you- well, it creates a self-sustaining athlete. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, that's the goal like that. Yeah. So I, I also work, so I work with spiders. That's my main, that's my, that's my lane, but yep. I'm also the Cairo for Altus. If you know what Altus is, the oh, sprinting yeah, yeah. group. Yep. So I'm, yep. I'm, I'm there. I'm their Cairo. And okay. seeing the difference between MMA fighters that want to be super self-sufficient and never want to get worked on ever. And yep. then the track world where they, they want to be, I, okay. I love the guys, but they want to be rubbed on all day. Every day. <laughs> yeah. And like seeing the difference between like, Hey, we're like, you guys were at the ground level of trying to build the self, the self sustainability model for you for MMA, because it's such a new sport. You guys are leading the path versus track and field has been around forever and they don't have a self-sustaining model and seeing the difference in my fighters. If I give them mobility training, they'll do it before I have guys that do it 10 minutes of mobility before every single practice, just because they, they know it's going to make them better. Yeah, it's and fucking they know awesome. That's what to they're see. like supposed to do, right? Yeah. 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 So it's cool that you guys are making a model like that, where it's just, it's overflowing to where it's not just the UFC anymore. It's, it's all MMA fighters uh, yeah. want to do that type of training. For sure. Well, I think that there can be a healthy mix of that too. Cause like the, the track and field athletes, like you can take some type of that mindset where I need to take care of myself because if I've not peaked at my 
best for my competition, I'm not going to win. I'm not going to perform. So you can take some of that mindset from the track and field and put it in the MMA fighters are like, yes, I want to do all this stuff, be self-starter and like do the self-care. But I also need to realize in myself that I need to be peaked or I need to like take more care of my body for my specific event or fight. Sure. Well, it goes back to like, that you you guys do a really good job about talking to athletes and getting them to come in for care but like i I tell everybody i'm like look a regular person's a honda accord they need maintenance maybe maybe twice a year if you're a weekend warrior hey maybe you're like a bmw that's that you need maintenance every two months if you will maybe every month bro you're a professional athlete you're a fucking ferrari you're a race car you need maintenance like you you need maintenance maintenance like you need to feel good feel good fight good look good feel good fight good the only way to look good and feel good is if you're getting worked on. But then you also got to be able to do the stuff on your own because, hey, guess what? What if I hurt myself? What if I can't work on you? What if I'm not there? Right. So it's that exactly. balance of doing those two things. Exactly. Exactly. Plus, the, with with the amount of volume, like even even if I can work on you every day, yeah. the amount of volume that they have to, <laughs> to, that you got to counteract, like, yeah, right. Like we know we we deem it the fighter posture, right? So it's you know the the rounded shoulders, the head forward, the basically the anterior pelvis like yeah right because nobody wants to fight up here right because kind of a bad idea um yeah except for connor somehow he can I mean, do it. he does <laughs> yeah, somehow, <laughs> somehow um so but you're you know however many sessions you have multiplied by however many minutes they are right you're in that posture like me working on you for an hour isn't going to correct these deficits right yeah, like, no so not at all. and that's where it gets like really great too like again like all of these words are made up. Like I'm doing PT, I'm doing strength conditioning, I'm skill training. Like you're moving during all of that. Like it doesn't have to be like I'm doing my PT session into my strength conditioning. Exactly like we're talking about blending it. Like take your quote unquote PT stuff into the warm up for your SNC, into the warm up for your skill. Like it can just blend all together. And that's where you can find more balance versus like this posture, that posture, like counteracting each other it's like no i'm just i'm moving all the time so can i how can i balance it out or how can i see like um it more in the same lane versus like silos or versus the individual right. Right. disciplines exactly. often because oftentimes it is like the same exercise or similar exercises that they have in their snc programming yeah. Yeah. but we get a little bit more specific with their their mechanics during it, right? Or a little bit more education on like, hey, when you do this, when you do a row, let's set that scap, you know, retra- you know, protract, retracted and depressed, mm-hmm. like before we start the row, instead of just going out there and swinging rows, yeah. Um, because we are working on shoulder instability. So, um, so yeah, oftentimes it's the same thing, just just different perspective, different cueing and 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 emphasis. Mm-hmm. But I could do more weight, bro. How am I supposed to get the hundred tens <laughs> up on my row if I don't <laughs> swing? Go out, go out and uh go out and back squat the weight that you can't even do without you know, you can't even back squat, but like let's throw, you know, three hundred pounds on the bar. Well, the the main yeah. principle, Bobby, that I've learned in strength conditioning over all my years, it's not about how much you lift. It's about how much you look like you lift. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. Yes. And that's why that's why I love lifetime fitness because all of their plates are the same width. So I could have tens on there and it's actually looks like it's a 45. So it looks like I'm strong as fuck. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> oh, God. I remember I put up an Instagram one time, just I, I think it, I don't even think it was an Instagram. I think I just sent it to Alex and it was I was front grand. squatting. Oh yeah, of course. I was I was front squatting, but it was at lifetime and it had just 
I think it was 25 and a 25 on there because I was just loading it up. And it looked like I had two 45s out front squatting. And I like I sent it to Alex. He's like, you're not that strong. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> not that, that. You, you don't even lift, bro. Yeah. You don't, you're like, what? <laughs> uh, Bobby, so I, was, I, I read all the way through the second issue of the PI book. Fantastic literature, fantastic resource that I've already actually sent to our entire coaching staff. Love right. it. Yep. Um, one of the chapters that you authored or co-authored, I don't remember if it was you and somebody else, was traveling, making sure you don't get sick when you travel as well as self-care as you travel. Yep. Can you talk a little yep. bit about some of those tips just for the people that don't necessarily have access to read it? Yeah, yeah. So my section in the journal was kind of basically like avoiding infection around travel, right? And there was there was a whole nother, um, I guess there's a whole nother chapter kind of more from a like nutrition and dietary aspect. But this one kind of just was like things you can do <clears throat> while in the airport, airplane, um, and then a few other things kind of when you're there where you are. Right. So, um, the kind of the big things that I picked up on were like where to sit in the airplane. Right. So, um, kind of, kind of suggested don't sit, don't sit in the back, um, near the, near the toilets. Obviously nobody wants to sit there anyway, but yeah. You get the most interaction with people, right? People coming and going back there. Um, it said to choose the choose the the, the window seat um, because again, less interaction with people going up and down the aisle. Um, talked about um, turning the um, turning the air vent on um, just so that way it kind of creates a cone of air, cone of current, just kind of pushing everything basically out and away from you. Um, cause I guess the filtration in the airplane is actually just as good as, um, hospitals are. And it filters something like 99.9% of that's gotta be a new COVID type of, uh, invent invention or innovation, because I don't know if it's always been like that. <laughs> I don't know. That's what it is. And I think this stuff, this stuff that I was reading to kind of put in the journal, uh, was dated pre COVID. So, okay. um, obviously the conceptions. Yeah. Right. Um, and then I think I think I've recently seen like United came out and said basically for for levels to get it an infection for for it to become an infectious level within the airplane you'd have to be flying for like twenty three hours straight or something like that. Well, uh, how long is the flight to Abu Dhabi? That was uh, what was that? That was like sixteen hours, seventeen hours, Ex- exactly twenty three hours <laughs> with, with time change. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I, it was nice though because we had we I had had a seat that laid down all the way. We were like about to land, and I was like, you know what, uh, we can we can kind of keep going, right? Because yeah. <laughs> basically totally disconnected up there. You, you know, no no cell phone, no nothing. You know, yeah. you had some Wi Fi, but um, yeah, that's kind of nice. cool. yeah. yeah. Um, well, what about shadow boxing on the airplane? Because uh, that was one of the funniest things I saw um, when people going to Abu Dhabi is like trying to train mid flight. And it was like, it just reminded me like something out of like anime movies, like (laughs) different like martial arts, like how they would practice if they had to fly or like train or something. Right. I, it, I don't know if it just seems like it wouldn't work in my head, right? Like getting on the plane just doesn't seem like it would work. Um, But there are for sure some exercises um, that can kind of help combat that travel like we see so many guys kind of wednesday tuesday of fight weeks that are like oh man like i'm just jacked from travel right they're already calorie deficient 
Um, they're already cutting out carbs and X, Y, Z out of their diets. Um, and then you put them in a plane for, you know, four hours um, and they get pretty jacked up out of it. So some of the things were just kind of like good posture, right? We can do these kind of chin tucks because everybody's got this head forward posture, right? So you can do these chin tucks into the airplane seat. Um, calf pumps um, to kind of just get that that lower leg circulation going. Um, some anterior pelvic tilts within the chair. So kind of like doing like a cat camel within the chair. Um, and then I, I, the, the section even recommends, you know, obviously getting up and, and trying to walk about the plane, maybe doing some squats or something like that. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, definitely some stuff as far as like posture and, and, and I guess body recovery that we can do on the plane for sure. You can get some weird looks just doing chin retractions, right? Somebody right next to you, you don't know. You're just, <laughs> dude i'm convinced that that's just one of my ticks nowadays i just do that all the yeah, time every right day. i know i'll even do it as i'm working on somebody i can feel like my neck getting like yeah dude same i'm like Especially. leaning over needling somebody and i'm just doing chin retractions as i'm going like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? especially uh because i would wear the like gator type mask so i felt like by the end of the day i'm doing this to like keep it on my nose right so yeah sure. oh yeah huh uh yeah so chin, and then and then like shoulder shoulder cars were always a good or a good one in a seated position too so dude i love i feel like those are such an underutilized exercise i've been getting into a whole bunch of scap cars with my guys just because none of their shoulder blades move like oh, no. the one yeah. person i tell i tell everybody like if you want to watch a good shoulder blade movement you got to go watch sean o'malley like first of all his trainer his trainer's a killer brandon over at pfs is awesome but the way that his shoulder blade can move and the protraction retraction upward downward translation yeah. that's exactly what you need for fighting and if you can oh, do that on a plane while you're just fucking sitting there like, oh yeah it's just reps on reps oh yeah it's uh it's actually something that i will incorporate especially if somebody is struggling to kind of get those mechanics that we're talking about while we're doing exercises right if i'm like hey like pull your shoulders together and down like and they're struggling to like, they're like i can't make like they are down i'm like no you're like up here <laughs> they're down i'm like no <laughs> No, they're not. <laughs> you don't have a neck. Um, so we'll strip it all the way down to the cars and just make them do some some car uh, some scat cars. Um, and, I, and I think that that helps a little bit differentiate all of those different types of positions. Do you guys have? I know they come to the PI frequently. Did you guys have uh, Spina in? Yeah, we had. You- so he we've well we've had uh, the FRC come through. A couple of times. I didn't, obviously I didn't take this the second time he'd come through because I already taken yeah. it. But yeah. Spina, yeah. Spina had come through the, the, the first one for sure. He came through when I was, uh, so that would have like winter, fall of 19, which yeah. is probably the last time that the yeah. world allowed. I heard he's a super smart, but an interesting guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> uh, his presentation style is just a little bit different. Um, <laughs> I like it. I like hey, it. It, it gets the involvement. Point. To Austin's point earlier, it's probably bottom uh, Mercedes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. That, that dude's definitely got a like a share of a plane at this point. <laughs> it's good stuff though, man. We uh, we use it whether it's the cars, whether it's the pails and rails. You know, quite a bit of like the hip mobility that I'll take people through. Um, because that's one thing, man, the first we, we do a functional evaluation on baseline athletes that come through, mm-hmm. right? And kind of um well, we just recently developed kind of more of a functional one, but the the one that we started with was kind of just like an orthopedic, kind of very static head to toe assessment of, of some metrics. 
um, hip internal and external rotation being part of that. And like these guys would come through and the first one I worked with, this guy basically had no hip rotation. Zero. I can, some of these guys, I can barely get to zero internal rotation, right? Like, and I was like, how do you kick somebody in the head if you've got no rotation? <laughs> and he like, after we got done, he demonstrated a head kick. And it was like, basically, because he put his head on the ground yep. to get through it. So, it, so, so yeah, hip mobility, um, huge. We use the cars, we use the pails, rails with, with the hip mobility for sure. Dude, I've been doing one recently. Uh, it's like, a, I think he, he calls it like an end range rotational scap car, but essentially it's like, I think FR, personally FRC matches really well with, uh, my background is while I'm, I have more tools, but I love DNS. That, that's what I started with. That was my first thing I kind of went through and pairing FRC with DNS, even though funny enough that Spina doesn't like DNS works really <laughs> fucking well. So like doing like those hip cars with low bear position and the proper IAP and shit like that, yep. or even mixing it with the McKenzie side of things. I've been doing like from a press up scap cars because all yep. their low backs are fucking jacked and oh. having them in that passive extension and doing scap cars, dude, that shit's been working real well. I like it. I like well, it. Uh, I mean, I think that's just more integrative. Like, again, we're talking about like, what is isolation? Like, why do we have to... <laughs> make sure everything else is relaxed or why do we have to make sure we're in this super controlled position? Like I get time and place or whatever, but like, why not put it all together? Your body moves all together anyway, all the time. Right. I mean, the positions these guys get in, like it's not just a single plane (laughs) standing, sitting position, right? Like they're in all different types of positions. So you gotta, you gotta train it. Yeah. And it's super interesting and complex too. Cause like, like, I don't know, you'd be watching like, football or sprinting or whatever and this super abnormal position that happens is like wow that's an abnormal position but like in fighting mma like every position is an abnormal position Ab- and abnormal the, is normal and, right? they, and it's frequent too yeah so yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else we got what are we talking about how your broncos doing the off season i see that uh, sign up there well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see I've, I've heard good news about uh i've heard good news about drew lock this off season so hopefully <laughs> You and one other person. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what Landau said, bro. <laughs> what? Who? What? No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> who's, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who? who what? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm still kind of, as long as they don't have to give up the world to watch the future of the Denver Broncos to get Aaron Rodgers, I think that'd be pretty dope. Dude, that would be sick. That'd be crazy. And him with Elway as his, as his, uh, Oh, G- yeah. Is that way your GM or president or yeah, G- all G- of it? Yeah, all of it. He is the Broncos. <laughs> yeah, he I'll is be- the Broncos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Well, you got anything else you want to talk about? Anything else burn the hole? No, not really. Um, it's all pretty good. Nice. Yeah. You got to plug your Instagram. You got to plug all this stuff because, you know, oh, yeah. so, that's, that's uh, what we live our life for. Yep. <laughs> Do it for the grand. <laughs> the mantra of <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. going to be the title. That's going to be our Spotify is like doing it for the gram with Bob Gaysford. <laughs> um, Instagram handle is B underscore O H underscore B. Um, I think Bobby Gaysford or Robert Gaysford pulls it up as well. So, okay. Hell yeah, dude. And if they, if they have questions or anybody listening has questions, they're fine. Just sending it right to you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's one thing that we do great at the, the PI is just kind of collaborating with everybody, right? Like, yeah. whether, you know, whether you're the athlete, whether you're 
an outside strength coach, dietitian, coach, whatever. I think, I think we do that. Um, the greatest, cause we're all, we're all really there to kind of just influence the whole community. Right. Like mm-hmm. we understand that certain, you know, so, some guys train out of their garage gyms, some guys have a strength coach, but their strength coach has a garage gym set up. Right. So like they don't have the fancy, um, force plates and diagnostic tools that we do. So, right. They can come in, um, and get all this information and and take it back home for their strength coach to, you know, basically. I just, right? Hell yeah, dude. I just did that. One of my guys out there with you right now, uh, Luis Saldana. I don't know if you've worked with him, I don't think I've worked uh, with him. but he's with, he, I just texted I was texting Matt. I'm like, Hey, could you do some diagnostics for me real quick? Like I, I just, I don't have force plates. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and it can go everything from like, we'll just do the diagnostics for you. Here's the information. Or it can be like, yeah. Well, we can kind of collaborate because, you know, we see MMA fighters day in and day out. So like, Hey, this is how we would kind of attach that attack this. Right. Or exactly. Or, or they can come in and they can start programming for you and your strength and conditioning can just lead the, lead the exercise or the workout. So hundred percent. And at the end of the day, it's all about the athlete. If we got two brains thinking about one athlete, typically that's going to be better. Absolutely. I would say that's, that's one thing that we do well. um, is just that, that athlete centric athlete centered athlete centered model, you know, the athlete athlete comes first. If if we've got research topics and outside agendas, like ultimately the UFC fighter comes first. So everything else, everything else takes a backseat. Well, y'all, this was building a fighter uh, with Bobby Gaysford. If you have any questions, shoot them to his Instagram. Or if you have any questions for us, we have our website up. We have our email in the show notes, as well as our personal Instagrams as well in the show notes. Um, please like, share, subscribe, do all the cool stuff that allows us to become friends with your friends and talk to people. Leave a rating if you're on Apple. That would be fantastic. That'll boost our SEO. And as always, this is Building a Fighter with Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And... And Bobby Gaysford. (laughs) And we are out.